So today's sermon continues in our series, Selfish versus Soul-Filled, as we look at all the major aspects of how we live, what the Bible is talking about, and the reality of who we are and how we live. We come to this dichotomy, this divergence of being either selfish people or soul-filled people. And certainly this applies to today's sermon focus, worship, worship. Um, I begin, and you can see I've provided it to you at the top of the sermon notes for today. If you're in the service, if you're online, you can access these on the website or contact us for these. The quote from Greg Beal, one of the most important biblical theologians of the current generation who's had major publications over the last 25 years. One of his more important biblical theology books is entitled, We Become What We Worship. We Become What We Worship. And the quote that I have for you there from that book is his thesis for the entire book and really looking at a major swath of what the Bible is teaching us. And it's this, what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. What people revere, they will resemble, either for ruin or restoration. What you revere, what your child reveres, what your husband or wife reveres, what your best friend reveres, what you revere, what they revere, you're going to start resembling either for your spiritual ruin or your restoration. Now, you don't have to be a, a highly qualified psychologist or anthropologist or sociologist to know this. The way you, you just start observing, what are we like as human beings? Well, we're going to revere things and we imitate things that we revere, people that we revere, things that we revere. And we think this is cute with little children, at least in nice homes when parents are around. What happens? What does a little toddler start imitating? The first things that toddler starts imitating are his own parents, her own parents, right? And we think this is really cute. When they're two and three and four, they repeat the same things we say. They wanna be just like us because that's the way God made us, okay? So we, little, and we think this is so cute, you know, like if, if I am inclined to go like this, if I got a three-year-old boy pretty soon, he's gonna start going like this. If I say things with a certain emphasis, she will start saying things with a certain emphasis. If I smile when the dog walks in the room, the child, we just think that is so cute. But all of a sudden and very quickly, cuteness turns to concern, right? Because my kids, they get a little bit older and maybe they're going to preschool, maybe it's later when they're at school, they start acting like and saying the same things that they're hearing from the kids they play with. 
And you can say, well, I'm just going to close my kids off and make them live in a cave. Pretty soon they're going to find things. And in today's world, on social media, you know, amazingly, some, some kids who are only five, six years old are already accessing social media and um, electronic games. And, and what do they start imitating? They start imitating the heroes from the TV shows, from the electronic games, for the, the, the kids who are stars, the kids who are the ringleaders at school, the toughest kid in the neighborhood, all of a sudden, why, why is my kid talking like that? Well, well it's because he, he admires and wants to imitate the toughest kid in the neighborhood. So it's gone acute to concerning, and of course, this just kind of continues to escalate, right? My 11-year-old little sweet little daughter is listening to everything this 15-year-old pop star who dresses with virtually no rag on her entire body and wants to be just like the 15-year-old pop star who is opining on the situation in Ukraine and telling my 11-year-old how she needs to think about boys, girls, her gender identity and everything else. What is going on here? Because, look, what we revere, whom we revere, we will resemble for our ruin or our restoration. That's the basic truth that applies to life. It's basic wisdom and it's biblical wisdom. It pretty much frames out a major part of biblical theology, as Greg Beale is saying. So let's go to today's um, points. And in doing that, let's open God's word. We're going to turn first to God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And... Everybody, disciples, children, adults, you need to immediately think, when I say Deuteronomy 5, what are we turning to? The Ten Commandments, right? So we're going to pick up the Ten Commandments, uh, just the first couple, the, the prelude, and then the first couple of commandments at verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, in my presence, no other gods. If you're going to be with me, no other gods. First commandment. Second, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them because I, Yahweh, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. In other words, to the third generation that still hates me, to the fourth generation that hates me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands, that means to the thousands of generations of those who love me and who keep my commandments. And then to Psalm 115, Psalm 115, 
a response of Israel in faith, which is paralleled in Psalm 135 also, to Gentiles and people who have idolatrous images and all these gods. And they say, we've got all these kind of gods and we've got statues that we can bow down to. What do you have? You worthless, poor people who keep getting beat in wars. You have nothing. So this is the response. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations, why should the Gentiles say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. And those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. And then to John's gospel, John chapter four. This is in the midst of, we're picking up in the midst of Jesus's encounter with and conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well outside of Sychar, Picking up at verse 20 of John 4, our fathers, she says, our fathers, in other words, the Samaritans, ancestors, worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. In other words, you as a Jew say this. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, in other words, Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We, in other words, Jews, worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. So here's the reality. We heard it from the introduction, summarizing what the Bible teaches, and we've now heard it from the scripture directly. Number one, point number one, you are a worshiper. Why are you a worshiper? 
because God created you to be a worshiper. This is human being 101 stuff. You can present to me a Marxist communist manifesto fan who is an absolute atheist, and I will show you a worshiper. Every human being who is alive and breathing is worshiping something or someone because God made us like this. God made us like this. And even after the fall, we're still worshipers. We will revere and resemble someone or something. God made us, and before the fall, this is the whole message, we are made to look up to, trust in, and reflect the glory of God and be His reflective image on earth for dominion in his creation. That, that's, that's Genesis 1 and 2. That's, that's who we are. Even after the fall, we're still going to be worshipers. The question is, whom or what will you, will we, will our kids worship? As I said in the, the line on Friday's email preparing you for this Sunday service, Everyone worships something on Sunday. The question is, what? Uh, you know the old joke about the woman who says, well, my husband used to be a Methodist, but now he's a golfer. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. and the other woman says, well, my, my, my husband used to be a Baptist, but now he says he's a hunter, and that's his way of getting in touch with God. Yeah, you got your gods going on in those stories too, right? I am telling you, you show me. You show me the weekend plans of any family, and I'll tell you what religion that family follows. I mean, real religion. Don't, don't distract with the semantics about God and Jesus and everything. The reality is on the ground and in the hearts and in the minds and in the priorities. Everybody worships somebody on Sunday. Everybody worships somebody on Sunday. I don't have time for worship. You just told me you're worshiping. Yeah, you're worshiping. The question is what or whom? You show me the way a family arranges its week. You show me the way a single individual arranges his or her week. And most certainly, yeah, definitely, at the pinnacle and at the key juncture, the Sabbath, the, the Christian Sabbath at the Sunday, we got revelation there, don't we? You don't have to have a doctorate to figure that one out. And again, our purpose is to worship God. What do we say? And even like the children's shorter catechism, you know, question one, what's our chief purpose and goal to do what? to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the way we're made. In Old English, uh, the word that gives us worship, worship um, acknowledges, it's about acknowledging and giving worth to what is worthy, okay? That's what that word means. To what is most worthy, we give worth, okay? That's the, that's the encounter, that's what the relationship of worship. And in the Old Testament, there are a whole lot of, there's a cluster of actions or verbs that have to do with worship. And these include, I mean, there's not just one word, you know, sometimes it gets translated in English as worship, but there's all kinds of actions and verbs. Praise, glorify, 
boast in. That's one of the ways we worship. We boast in. You boast in something. Man, my team, my team is the best. We won the national championship. Yeah, you just you keep, keep that worship going, baby. But we boast in something or someone. We, we kneel to. We, the Hebrew is literally bend the knee to. Raise the hand to. Bring in the idol or the symbol of. Slap it on your jersey. I mean, what, yeah, all of this in the Old Testament is worship. To give a sacrifice of praise to. And of course, comprehensively, to love. First and second commandments are dead on about worship. And you turn the page to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and you hit the Shema, Shema Yisrael. And what Jesus calls the greatest commandment, the one that sums up everything else. And what is it? You shall love, you got one God, okay? And you shall love the Lord your God with everything, all your heart, soul, and strength. Harold Best, in his book, Unceasing Worship, gives a, a really good summary that I included in the notes for you also, as well as the quote from Greg Beale. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of the God I choose, or the God who chooses. Which God are you choosing? The good news, we'll come back to this, is there is a God who chooses and calls us to himself. But it's basically like, do we just kind of worship for about an hour? I got a limit, pastor. I got to get out of here because I can only worship for an hour. Uh, you're worshiping all the time, I hate to tell you, or maybe I'm delighted to tell you. And it's a continual outpouring, one direction or another. Secondly, nothing is more significant than obviously whom and also what or how or why you worship. Now, this gets back to this thing. We can say the words Jesus. We can say, I sang a song to you, Jesus, for a couple minutes. That means you're my God, right? Why? What is going on in your heart and soul? Why are you worshiping? Well, I said a prayer so God could fix my stuff. Okay, it sounds like you're kind of seeking the fix <laughs> instead of God. I said the prayer so I could get in the school. Yeah, you're worshiping the school. You're not worshiping God a lot of times when that's your prayer. Selfish versus soul-filled. It is a, according to God, a life or death issue. There's no veiling of this reality. God is extremely serious that his people have him as our only God and love him as our only God. Just like God expects a husband and wife to be faithful to one another, God definitely expects us not to be unfaithful. 
So again, the first and second commandment, the greatest commandment are all about this. You move um, to the New Testament and in Romans chapter one, Paul's talking about how God has revealed himself clearly so that no one has an excuse. I mean, anybody else, any, any, even the guy on the island who's never learned to read, much less read the Bible, he's aware, he's aware, he can be aware that there's a creator and I ought to be seeking whoever put all this together. That's what Romans 1, Paul is saying, but then he moves on and he says this, because of our idolatry, Chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity. Because, why? Why? Why did God do this? Because they exchanged God's truth for a lie and worshiped and served. Those are two big words in the Old Testament and the New Testament for uh, worship. You've got to understand this, to serve whom you're actually serving is whom you're worshiping. They, they, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. It's idolatry. And Paul goes on to talk about sexual perversion and everything else because it's just a, a celebration of the physical and putting the physical and my sexuality on the pedestal. The, 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 uh, you know, I'll sacrifice my entire family, my entire future for my sexual fulfillment and identity. And, Paul goes on like that in Romans 1. It's idolatry, but back to basically, what's the basic? What, what can I teach even my child about this? Well, Martin Luther puts it this in the children's catechism on the first commandment. Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon is your God. Can a drug for cancer be a good thing? Yes. If I'm trusting in the drug instead of God, is that still a good thing? No. We've bridged over, it's a fine line, into idolatry. Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon is your God. Should I love my wife? Absolutely. Should my life be all about pleasing her and worshiping her and exalting her? And if God fits in, that's okay. No, we've just moved to idolatry. Luther says, trust and faith of heart alone make both God and idol. Parents, be aware of the relationship with the children in this. Idolatry takes hold fast in your idolatry and my idolatry of children. I mean, it's an easy move. Alec Matier who wrote one of the commentaries that I referred to several times in the book of Isaiah, says this, your idol is whatever claims the loyalty that belongs to God. That's who your idol is. And then we come to this issue that is front and center in all the scripture of the irony of idolatry. I've already introduced this. Um, Greg Beale has written an entire major biblical theology um, exploration about this. It's the irony of idolatry, and it's what Psalm 115 and 135 are saying. It's, it's what I've already introduced. We, we mirror, not just little kids, but big kids too, we mirror what we admire and what we want and what we covet and what we want to be like. 
we mirror what or whom we idolize and lust after. Those who make them idols, and by the way, the atzab there, the, the Hebrew is kind of interesting because it's a word that means like the thing that hurts you. <laughs> there are all these different Hebrew words for idols. They're kind of interesting. This is all over the board in the, in the Hebrew, and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's pointed, and in this case, it's pointed. The idol, the word for idol here means the thing that hurts you. You're going to come like it. Over to Jeremiah chapter 2, uh, verse 5, another word for idol here, it's, it's a plural word that means like vapor, nothingness. And so it gets translated a lot of different ways. Listen to this. I'll give you the ESV first and then go to the King James and New American Standard. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me, in other words, in God, that you went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless. The hebel there, the word, actually means vapor. Okay, it's just a vapor. Like, you think this is going to last? King James, thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and become vain. And then New American Standard, what injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness? And when they walked after emptiness, what did they become? The end of this verse, and became empty. If you worship emptiness, what do you end up being? Empty. Ever been around superficial people who worship you know, bling and all this stuff and all they are is empty. You know what? A lot of the stars that we listen to opine on everything, they're empty. And in eternity, they will be emptiness. This is what the scripture is saying. This is, we talked about this in the Isaiah series. This is kind of the key pivot issue with Isaiah chapter six. When the Lord calls and commissions Isaiah and says, go to this people. He says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. What's he referring to? What are these descriptions referring to? Idols. Because the people are idolatrous, they're going to be like idols. It's kind of like all the way back. You remember when uh, the Israelites make the golden calf when Moses is up on Sinai? And then they get described, this is the way they get described, stiff-necked and needing to be led around by a rope. Okay, they worshiped a cow. What did they become? They're like a cow. You worship a cow, you become a cow. That's, that's, what, that's what Exodus is saying. That's what God is saying through Moses. The irony of idolatry. And, and what, what Isaiah is prophesying, what God is saying through Isaiah in chapter 6 gets played out all the way through the New Testament, all the way through into Revelation. By the way, Isaiah chapter 6, this passage about, you know, speak to them, but they're not going to hear. Remember, Jesus, it's, it's in all of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus is describing why he's teaching the way he is with the parables, it's because these people are idolatrous. But wait a minute. He's talking about, in many cases, like Pharisees who are very religious. Yeah, but they're worshiping their tradition instead of the God who they supposedly claim. Okay? That's what's going on all in the New Testament. When you get to Acts 28, when the synagogue leaders in Rome, most of them reject Paul's gospel... 
What does he say? What does he quote at the close of Acts 28? I mean, it's the key point in Acts 28. Isaiah 6. The irony of idolatry. And you run all the way through to the book of Revelation, and Isaiah 6 gets recited eight different times in the book of Revelation. You know the last book in the New Testament? When we're talking about the beast and taking the mark of the beast and the sign of the beast, what are we talking about? We're going to reflect the beast if that's whom we worship. This is what, and it runs all the way through, all the way through, all of history to the end. So how do we apply this to us? Well, in lots of ways, including this fact, speaking of the New Testament and the Apostle Paul, in both Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, Paul says that covetousness is idolatry. Because we could sit here and say, well, I don't have little figurines, even though I may have a little bulldog or a little rebel or whatever, but I, I don't really have a whole lot of idols in my household. Look, the New Testament is telling us if we covet and lust after things, want that for us, want that for our kid, that's idolatry. And, and how does it work? Remember the irony? If I lust after emptiness, I become empty. If it's the dollar, the almighty dollar, what's the dollar do? Dollar flits all over the place. How's the ruble doing lately? How's the ruble doing the last couple weeks? It's virtually worthless. Money is simply a temporary creation of our psychology and economic needs. During the tribulation, how much do you think those investment accounts are gonna be worth? Hmm? They're gonna be dead and gone. Wall Street, dead and gone at the apocalypse. And if that is your God, if that's what you're putting your trust in, you'll be as dead and as filthy as little dollar bills and cryptocurrency are in the last days. Money, shoes, clothes. Can shoes and clothes here and worship God? <laughs> what do you think? No, and it comes to a point where even most of our sports heroes and political heroes, the people that we wanna be like, they're empty also. So in Jesus' time, many religious people rejected Jesus, supposedly claiming to love God. But now let's come to the good news. Point number three here. God seeks and sanctifies true worshipers. I mean, this is awesome. God seeks out and sanctifies you. Are you turning to God? Will you worship him? It's the opposite of the irony of idolatry. We get to become like Jesus. I mean, this is all the way back even better to Genesis 1 and 2. This is what the New Testament is telling. This is what it means to be a Christian. Christian, this is awesome. Listen to this. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. How does this happen? Well, in one of the great verses of all the New Testament, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul's talking about the fact that the Israelites... Uh, when Moses came down, and he just kind of reflects an echo of the glory of God. You know, his face does. It's, it's shining. It's glowing. And they have to, he has to cover it with a veil. And they still, Paul's picking up on this theme, and he says, um, they can't even understand the word. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses, in other words, the books of Moses, are read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, 
the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You're set free from idolatry. Christian, you're set free. You don't put your trust, your heart's not there anymore. And we all, listen to this, verse 18 is one of the great verses in all the Bible. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Children, you're being changed when you look at Jesus. Being transformed into the same image. That means the image of Jesus, the very true perfect image of God. From one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You worship, you look toward, and you will reflect someone this week. Christian, we have the opportunity to behold Jesus and to not only reflect his glory, but to be changed more and more to be children of the kingdom, children of light, children of his grace. May you, may your children, may everyone you love be called by God to look to Jesus and be transformed to resemble whom you truly revere for your restoration and your coming resurrection and rejoicing forever in him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever.